trust me, I had to change my whole configuration of my phone to prevent my moron East Coast friends from ruining things for me every day. Greg, what we're going to do, uh, we did not cover St. Locash, la- the St. Locash Marauders last uh, uh, last week. So we're going to do that this week. And what I'd like you to do is just kind of go through the team, much like we did for any other team, and give us your thoughts on each one of the players, your overall kind of uh, prospe- uh, perspective on the team. And Joe and I will actually uh, get in there and add uh, our two cents at the end. Okay. You know, looking at this roster, guys, I, I think that this is a team that has the potential, and I would put into a category of being on the rise. Uh, and I say that, and I look at the starting lineup here, um, you know, you have Grandal at catcher, who by all accounts is a, is a player on the rise in a thin position. Uh, he started out the year very strong. He's playing for a good team and organization. I think that uh, bodes well for that position. Uh, there are some older players, though. There are some question marks. Uh, Hosmer at first. Uh, you have to wonder, you know, will he continue to be productive, uh, especially for a situation uh, where he could be trade bait or, um, you know, not necessarily uh, in the winning situation right now. Likewise, uh, infield positions. You have uh, Jose Ramirez at third base for the, for the, the tribe. And VR at shortstop, you know, tons of steals, but not exactly the guys who have name recognition or are on uh, many people's elite level or even very good level um, positional rankings. Uh, Andrus, um, again, solid. Uh, now he, he's a he's a star and he's young and he looks like he'll be uh, somebody they can uh, can build around for the future. Schwarber in the outfield. You know, tons of potential, made a big splash, but, you know, uh, coming off an injury, uh, in addition, you know, uh, fighting for playing time. We've talked about Joe Madden and, and how that might wreak havoc on owners of Cubs. And so you have to wonder about that. A uh, pair of buckos in the outfield, Polanco and Marte, both young, both uh, in stable situations with long-term deals, staying with the Pirates. Uh, both with tons of upside, though, but question marks, right? Because Polanco uh, started off the year so well last year, kind of faded down the stretch. Uh, Marte, uh, solid, but, uh, you know, what is he? Is he a speed guy? Is he a power guy? Is he a five-tool guy? It's kind of hard to determine. Uh, Jake Lamb, you know, had an an emerging year last year and I I think is a solid uh, player. Looking at um, the bench, you know, that's where I start to see a lot of uh, things, mostly that bode well for the future. You know, Tommy Joseph, um, you know, uh, Joey Gallo, Dansby Swanson, and Piscotti. You know, four guys on the bench right now who I think would be uh, 
you know, any player in the league would want to have those guys on their team and would be starting from, for many people. And so uh, you look at that, um, there are some, you know, relics on the bench, though, of course, and on the disabled list, David Wright. I mean, my God, uh, I can't remember the last time he played. I think I was in high school. Um, you know, and then you look at the, the minor league system. It's, uh, again, it's full of really good prospects uh, with Buxton and Meadows, um, you know, uh, Moncada. So uh, Reese McGuire, some really good things to build on. Um, it just seems like this team is super solid in some areas with a lot of upside, uh, but then has some question marks in others. Yeah, this is this is clearly a team that is in full rebuilding mode, right? I, you know, like you talk about Marte and Polanco, definitely like them. Schwarber, an interesting player. You talked about him last week in, in the mix and where you think he, you know, may be a platoon candidate. But Hosmer, you know, that's that's a guy that doesn't really excite me at all. Ramirez, interesting guy, a uh, little older. Uh, still, I think you're right. I think you're on it. You've got uh, Dansby Swanson. You've got Moncado. You've got uh, Joey Big Nuts Gallo. You've got uh, Jorge Alfaro, uh, Moncada. Uh, even, you know, uh, Jake Bowers is an interesting Tampa Bay prospect. So I think clearly this is where Chris is going. Joe, are you getting the same read on this team? Yeah, I think so. I, you know, I, 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 I like uh, Villar. I, you know, I, the, Tim, you know this from the players that I've taken in the past. I, I always point out that a, a stolen base is the same as a double. So, you know, even if, even if the guy isn't a isn't a uh, perfect hitter, he's going to make up for it if he could steal sixty bases. You know, it's uh, I'm with you. I think you know Hosmer's getting to the point where. Maybe you're not going to be able to count on some of the things he's done in the past. I think Andrus is a is a solid player, and and the two Pittsburgh outfielders I love, uh, Schwarber. You know, I, I I'm just not sure where he fits into the the plans there. Um, definitely has uh, has some interesting things on the bench. Uh, the, the could care less about Jay Bruce really, but uh, uh, <laughs> come you. on, no Jay Bruce love. Yeah, now Jay Jay Bruce, like years ago, the way you did Jay Bruce, the way you managed Jay Bruce is you waited for those hot streaks, put him in for two weeks, won your two games, and then sat him. That that's that was literally Jay Bruce. Jay Bruce now, I mean, I agree. I I'm surprised he, he's even rostered. However, you know, he, 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 we'll see what he does with the Mets full-time. I, I think the stadium's a little tougher there than uh, in Cincinnati. But well, um, if somebody goes down and you have him on a hot streak, I guess it's a great player to have. Uh, watching that Cardinals game last night, uh, you, you can't not like Piscotty the way he plays the game. <laughs> sure. Everybody's willing to take a ball off the head. Is <laughs> I missed the game. What happened? Oh, he, he got hit by a pitch. Didn't enjoy that too much because it was on his unpadded elbow. And uh, came home on a, on a, uh, a, I can't remember the exact play, but he came home and as he's sliding in 
under my catcher Contreras, the ball caroms off his ear flap, and he just kind of collapses to the ground and gets a bloody nose for his troubles. I love it, man. Gritty scored, players. Scored. Yep, he scored. Gritty players. I, I think when, you know, looking at this roster, the more I'm staring at it, I, I think that uh, there's there's a lack of power. It's almost like a small ball roster and, and real baseball translated into fantasy. You know, not that it's completely devoid of power, but generally speaking, there's not a lot of thumpers in that lineup. So I, I think all three of us are saying no to World Series on this one and that he is building for 2019-2020 when if he, if these young guys develop and he keeps these young guys or uh, trades a combination of them for a team that is hungry and ready and able uh, in 2018-2019, then, then that's where, that, uh, where that's going. So it'll be interesting to see, to watch. Okay, thanks, guys. gentlemen for for this segment what we'd like to do is take a look at the podcast predictions so uh joe greg uh myself tim we're going to be saying who we think is going to win the division and make it into the playoffs and who do we think will win the world series and the way the juiceless divisions are set up is we have a champions division that has four teams in it these are the teams from the previous year's playoffs and then we have the A division and the B division. We may run a contest to rename those divisions. But at this point, it's A division, B division with no value attached to the letters. So in the champions division, we can have one champion and then the potential of a wild card coming out of there. So maximum, there would only be two teams coming out of the champions division. and uh, But that wild card can come from any one of the three divisions. So we have, um, you know, the wild card could come from A division, could come from B division, uh, or it could come from the champions division. So we have the three uh, division champs, uh, one in the champions division, one in the A division, one in the B division, and then we have a wild card that could come from any one of those three. So I think the best place to start, Greg, we'll start with you. Just give the champions of each division from your perspective and maybe a little kind of insight as to why you're picking that team to win the, the division. Then we'll go to you, Joe, come to me, and then uh, we'll go through and say who we think the wild card is and why, and then we can get into some World Series uh, predictions. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I think looking at the champion division, so we have uh, my squad, the Smokeland Pathetics, uh, the 47 Ronin, Jacks, Wax, Packs, and Funkin' Punks. And so, you know, it's the champions division uh, for a reason. And so uh, nothing has substantively changed about the champion, that being you, Tim, and 47 Ronin. So for that division, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm going to call you as the uh, leading candidate to win that division. That's my prediction. You look at Division A, we got the Omission Commission, the Dreamers, and Reardon Metal. 
we talked about in the team overviews that omission commission is in full-on rebuild mode dreamers have a lot of uns upside but a lot of uncertainty maybe a little bit thin uh, on the roster in terms of depth and so uh you know i have to pick reared and metal coming out of this division because they're who i picked to to take it all this year so that's what i'd go with you know and then we have uh the b division or as i like to call them the old nfc west you know where it's hard to get too excited about any of those teams uh sorry everyone but um, looking at it, you know, clearly I think that uh, lethal injection is the team to beat. You know, uh, Bad Street um, has, uh, has some challenges, I think. Uh, St. Locash as well uh, is in a rebuild mode with maybe not uh, a mind to do some trading or, or desire uh, or a taste for that type of trading. So looking at the roster, lethal injection is loaded with young talent. Uh, and I think they take that division going away. Yeah, I, I think that uh, with the the A division, I, I think I've clearly got the best talent there, barring injuries. Um, and I, I think you, you're spot on about those teams. The the B division. I would agree that lethal injection is, is the top dog there. Um, and given what uh, Chris spoke about last week about not making trades, I think you touched on that. I, I think that uh, there's there's quite a bit of potential in some of those players that he has, and he's probably going to be loath to trade them. So I don't see him making a bunch of moves. Pop, Pops will make a bunch of moves. Um, I don't know how much he's going to get back for what he has if he goes that route. So I think, I think Mikey is clearly the, the class of that division there, the champions division. I know I said last week that I thought the world series was going to come down between Tim and Jack. And I've, I've sort of changed my tune on that by doing, going back and looking at things a little bit closer. I think, I think Tim is going to, uh, win that division again because I know he thinks he has no depth right now, but I also know he's going to correct that. Um, I'm actually thinking that perhaps Smokeland Pathetics might uh, also be coming out of the, coming into the playoffs out of that division rather than Jack's team. Um, it's it's they're. They're all three good teams. They're in the, like you said, they're in that division for a reason. But uh, pitching is twenty percent of the game, and and I think the Pathetics have the pitching staff that they need, and uh, that's my take. So uh, good take, by the way. And we could tell you were channeling the dark side uh, in that take. Yeah. So Sorry about that. Uh, the so here when I look at the Champions Division, and I you know so. Side note here, Champions Division, what's important about it is that there's an extra game in the season that the champions have to play against the champions. So Greg and I, our last game of the year is against each other. And with the parity in this league, I think the schedule plays a big part in this. Um, so coming out of the Champions Division, in my mind, it's the Pathetics. And the reason is, is, I talked about this last week, is 
baseball is a marathon. And now that we're in the post-PED era, injuries play a much bigger role, which means you have to have the bodies queued up behind the starters. And you essentially have to have a bench of players that could start on any other team or pretty damn close to that. And when I look at the depth, um, I think Smokeland has it. Greg, I think you've built a team. I said this last week that I really believe has the players to do it. And, you know, it, it's getting tougher and tougher for me to trade. I was, I was shut down on two trades between these podcasts and, and I was overpaying. So I don't know, Joe, if I'm going to be able to ref- to fill in or not. And the waiver wire, the ability to go out and find that free agent just isn't there as much anymore. So uh, I really think Smokeland's going to walk away with it. In the A division, this is one where uh, it was fascinating for me to break down. And I actually went in and looked at the schedules. Uh, and when I saw, if I take a look at uh, the last three games, Joe, that you have to play with um, uh, in the season. And let me just pull it up right here so I can make sure I have this right. <clears throat> you play Funk and Punks, you play 47 Ronin, and then in week 19, you play St. Locash. Now, St. Locash, that's a that's a pretty, pretty good one. And I think Funk and Punks, unless LJ does some major maneuvering, I think I think those two out of those three games probably pretty strong. And who knows? I could even be in full rebuilding mode at that point. Whereas uh, the Dreamers. Uh, their last three games, they play 47 Ronin, Smokeland Pathetics, and then Omission Commission. So if you look at those, I think uh, the Dreamers, I think the Monday boys, they have a tougher road at the end of the season when it counts. It, I mean, it counts the same as the beginning of the season, but I think when you're coming in that home stretch, if you're not coming in hot, you don't have most of your team there, that's going to be tough. And I think that's, that's, a big, that's a big hill to climb. Uh, he does have omission commission for the last game of the year. So if it comes down to that, uh, I think it's just whoever team, whoever's team is better. So in, in that case, I'm going with Rudin Metal uh, to come out of the A division. With the B division, I spent about 30 seconds kind of breaking this down simply because I think uh, Pops and I think Chris are both focusing on building for the future, whereas Mikey has the talent that plays right now. And if he just doesn't get snake bit, doesn't have a challenge with the uh, things that he's had in the past, injuries specifically, I think he'll be fine. If he does have injury challenges, he's not that there's not a lot of depth there. That could be a fascinating division where you have three teams not wanting to make the playoffs and be in the champion division, champions division next year. So I don't know. I don't know how that plays out. So those are my, uh, those are my three champions uh, in my opinion. So Greg, uh, wild card, who are you picking? You know that that's a tough call. I mean, I I, I think that um, you know the Dreamers have a chance at a wild card, but I think more realistically, the wild card is going to come out of the Champions Division if we don't uh, beat each other up too much. Nothing would surprise me. Um, I, I say it's going to come down to uh, Jack and I. And uh, again, I, I just have uh, I don't know. I have a feeling that this might not be my year, so I'm going to go with Jack. Okay. Wow. Um, thank you, Joe. I, I think that it's going to be smoking with the wild card. 
Yeah, so I went with Smokeland winning the division, and I actually think the Dreamers take the wild card. I think we have two playoff teams from the A division. I think the Champions Division is just too tough to have to have to kind of, you know, come through that. Uh, there's a, there's just a lot of competition there, and I think uh, having omission commission in in your division just really does make a difference when it comes right down to it. So, uh, World Series prediction, I to me, uh, Greg, I think this is your year. I think Smokeland takes it. I don't want to curse you, but I just I really like the way your team's constructed, and I know that you know week five, week six, we may look back at this and say, you know what, we we really read this the wrong way. But you know, I, I've been pretty good at predicting at least the playoff teams in the past. And uh, I, I really like the way your team looks. My preseason prediction is Smokeland takes it all. Finally, and, and you get that trophy. And uh, you remember, flags fly forever. So That's right. <laughs> yeah, as far as World Series prediction, I, I'm going to stick to my uh, my instincts, and I'm going to say that uh, Reardon Metal uh, it's versus Reardon Metal versus uh, 47 Ronin with Reardon Metal unseating the champion. Well, I'll, I'll certainly uh, hope you're right. <laughs> you say that a lot, Joe. <laughs> well, it, it, the one time I did win, it was against you. So, and and uh, I would not mind that repeating itself. Um, well, I I I think that uh, uh, boy, I tell you what, it's the. <laughs> All right, let me let me. Uh, I'm still thinking about this because I've I've changed my mind on who I thought the the two teams out of that division were, and uh, I know I said I thought Tim was going to win it all, um, but boy, I I just I the two of you actually I think are going to be in the World Series, and it's going to be whoever makes the moves they need to do to get through the season. And I, I've, uh, I've seen you both do that. And I'm, I think I'm, think I'm just, I got to stick with my first pick, Tim. Uh, I think 47 Ronin are going to, going to take it again. I just, I, I know Tim's being modest about what he's going to be able to do during the season, but I think as, as he senses the desperation and the blood in the water from the teams that, that feel like they're out of it, he's going to go make those moves. Um, I think, I think he's also right in that it's, it's becoming much harder to do, which is what everybody wanted. And boy, we've got it. When you have, when you have more 16 year olds on teams than 36 year olds, you know, that this league is a deep league. I mean, th so it, it is really difficult to go out there and get that replacement level player, uh, certainly out on the waiver wire. So then it really comes down to a trade. And, and I, you know, the other part of it is that I, I love rebuilding. I, I really do. So it's, I'm kind of, I'm in a good spot, but I, you know, I appreciate the confidence and um, you know, I, I we'll see how it goes. So if we took a look at this, right. Potential, potential surprises or things that would surprise other people that you've been thinking about as you look at teams. So for example, I think for me, you know, I, I take a look at say the omission commission, for example, and, and 
you know, heavily influenced by the first couple of days of the season, omission commission just shot out, you know, and AJ Pollock is tearing it up and we've got, he's got a great pitching staff and his, you know, couple days in suddenly I'm thinking, man, what, what if Scotty has, you know, he's, he's in full rebuilding mode, but man, he's got something, he catches fire. He's seen something that we haven't seen. I think that's a team that, you know, interestingly enough, could, could, uh, you know, surprise some folks, maybe, maybe not make it into the playoffs, but damage someone else getting into the playoffs. So I think omission commission is going to be an interesting team to watch. Um, you know, uh, not that Greg's team isn't going to be interesting to watch or anyone else's team. I mean, Greg's obviously got a team that we expect to, to, to win a majority of the game, large majority of the games, but omission commission. And I think in that division in particular, given um, uh, Joe, your team uh, and the dreamers, that could be a, a fascinating division to watch. I don't know. What do you guys think? You, any, any surprises that you think, uh, you know, may happen or, well, I mean, I don't know if it'll happen, but, you know, um, looking at the Dreamers, you know, uh, we talked about it last week. They they just have so many unknowns in terms of uh, service level and experience, and it's hard to project out. They don't have three-year rolling averages for, you know, two-thirds of their starting lineup. But those starting lineup that they do, the, the small sample sizes that they do have are phenomenal and super exciting. And so... I think that if those guys uh, live up to their potential um, and don't regress, I think that could be a team that could crush people and just run away with things. Yeah, you talked about that last week when you were you were saying, "Look, I just I don't know how to discount this team because, like you're saying, they're, they're, the three year averages don't make sense. And if the if he does hit, heck, if he hits on three quarters of them, it really could be." Uh, a heck of a team oh my gosh i mean gary sanchez you know you have 150 at bats on this guy but if if that was a even an even kind of real and then story and seager and peterson you know if those guys are all the real deal you know you know what you got in freeman and donaldson and yelich but if those other guys are the real deal that's going to be a crazy good lineup and they have the Mets pitching staff. So yeah, yeah, it's again, that is a fascinating division. And and Joe, I'm sorry, you're in that freaking division. Well, you know what? It's, that's, that's why I didn't, uh, didn't pick myself to go all the way. There's a, yeah, I, I, you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, there, there's plenty of interesting things. I mean, if you look at the scores right now, I'm in last place in that division. Scotty's uh, got 20 scored, and the Dreamers have 18.7, and I'm lagging behind. <laughs> so we, we could all be wrong. You got to be lucky with points against. Yeah. That helps. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think that's important. And and just the, the quirk of our pitching – it's a, a weird kind of you got to get some wins to get some points up uh, early in, in pitching early in the week and pitching can come in later in the week that there is a kind of a weirdness to that that I totally agree, uh, you know, could could make a difference. So I don't know. You know, it'll be interesting to see, like with these younger players on the Dreamers and on our other teams, you know, 
a lot of these guys, we've gotten into the habit of baseball seeing players called up on May 1st or June 1st to avoid that Super 2 status. And so I can't help but wonder, you know, what the length of the season might do to some of these players. You know, are they going to be prepared to be playing in this April weather? Um, or conversely, what, might they fade down the stretch? I think that that's a, um, that's a storyline that will be interesting to follow for the teams that are depending upon younger players to contribute at, at heavy levels. So, so Gary Sanchez, for example, right? You, you keep bringing him up because it's so hard. He plays a dem- physically demanding position. He's only played for uh, what essentially was, what, a quarter of the season last year. Sure. Yeah. And they're not going to spell him like some of the the better catcher hitters by letting him play first base because you've got Greg Bird there and you've got Chris Carter. So the idea that, you know, Sanchez could be, you know, the second coming, there there's there are, there is a lot of contrary evidence that goes against the uh or potential I don't know if it's evidence, but there, if you took a contrarian look at it and said, hey, conventional wisdom is Sanchez is is the number two catcher in the league. Uh, there, There's a lot of things in baseball. I mean, baseball is a brutal sport. And people, people laugh when I say that, but it physically and mentally wears people down. And I, I mean, I remember playing in Little League and I had my 15 game schedule and it was it was, you know, it was taxing. Can you, 162 games a year. That's, that's brutal. Well, well that's why I said about, what I did about the, the young Cubs players, because they, they not only played the 162 game schedule, they played a full postseason too. And then they've been running around, uh, doing talk shows and being fed at every opportunity. And, and who knows you know, how much of a toll that took on them going into this year. Right. Yeah. And if you get, if you get a guy like Sanchez, it happened to Polanco last year, great first half. And like everyone who loves baseball, you, you look at statistics and you project those out. Okay. So he's on pace to do this on pace to do that. It's going to take a brave manager to, uh, to, to make a different roster decision, you know, thinking that a guy, you know, is fading in July 1st. And if, 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 if Sanchez is hitting 340 on June 30th, he might still be hitting 310 on August 1st, but that means he's had a terrible July. Right. And so uh, you have to have the, the fortitude to make those good decisions. Okay, so we're going to take a break here, and we'll come back, and we're going to talk a little more about baseball, something uh, maybe a little beyond fantasy, and what was it that brought us to baseball? So what, 
what I'd really like to know, uh, Joe, Greg, and I'll even talk a bit about it too, is you know what was it that brought you to baseball? What what initially kind of lit that connection, that that fire for this game? You know, I worry about this game. I worry about the game not not meaning a lot to the younger generation. I have two boys that could care less about baseball, and that that's really tough for me because I have such a deep relationship with this game. And so I'd be really interested to find out what it was that that first attracted you, brought you into it. Was it a moment? Was it just kind of a period? Was it a particular season? And then um, secondly, what we'll do is it really, how has fantasy baseball changed your relationship to the game? It certainly has to me. So I'd be really interested in defining out uh, how it's changed the the relationship for you. So Greg, what what was it that really kind of initially started that love affair that you have with this game? Uh, it was a couple of things. Uh, growing up in suburban Pittsburgh in the 70s, you know, the We Are Family era pirates were an ever-present um, uh, presence in my life. But, you know, at that age, it's more about activity as opposed to fandom. And so really what really got me thinking about the pirates and being a fan was the fact that my next-door neighbor uh, was a pirates clubhouse attendant. And so uh, one day... Out of the blue and unprompted, he presented me a, uh, an autographed baseball of the 1977 Pirates. Uh, I remember that ball. It was signed in red ink. Wow. And all the Pirates' names on it. Um, and, you know, that really just, it, you know, they, they went from being a kind of a nameless, faceless identity Pittsburgh Pirates to I started seeing the names of real people. And so that led me to be curious about who they were and how they were individually performing. Um, it was it was that initial interest uh, was further stoked when I became a, a newspaper delivery boy at the ripe old age of ten uh, for the Pittsburgh Post Gazette, and so every every day, uh, rain or shine, 365 days a year, my best friend and I would deliver newspapers, but we would always start by looking at the box scores from the previous day, and uh, not just the box scores for the Pirates, but we looked. Uh, each and every box score, and we had a conversation every day about the favorite players that we had that we were following. Um, and, you know, uh, it, w- it was that ability to, to kind of track and see the progress of your, or your favorite players, something to look forward to every day. Unlike other sports, you know, football's a weekly occurrence. Hockey's an intermittent occurrence. But baseball was an almost daily comfort and something that I could look forward to seeing uh, what my favorite teams and my favorite players did on a daily basis. I asked you, um, how old were you when uh, you received this baseball, this signed baseball? Nine or ten. So at nine or ten, did you just want to go out and play one day and that was the only baseball you could find and just play with it? (laughs) That's absolutely right. That's oh, funny. man. Like, what yeah. is it with us? Why do we? I knew it. I Because I, I would have done the same thing, right? Absolutely. It, it survived, but it had a few grass stains. <laughs> you know? But, uh, yeah, absolutely. I was like, yeah, you know what? I, I, we'll be very careful. You know? And so my best friend and I, that same best friend, we would uh, you know, throw it around the backyard uh, when, when we'd hit a ball over our neighbor's fence or we, we'd lost a ball. It's like, hey, you know what? Desperate times call for desperate measures. You got to play. <laughs> so, <laughs> That's great. Um, 
that is an awesome story, by the way. And, and kind of like an all-American story. It almost, I mean, just, you know, newspaper boy, reads box scores, gets a sign ball. It's freaking, it's, it's right out of Hollywood. That's beautiful. Um, so how has fantasy baseball, now you're a big Stratomatic guy. Right. So absolutely. So that was that your first kind of what do you think about fantasy, right? This kind of whole kind of different world built yeah, it was, around. You know, that that same friend and I, you know, as much fun as we we had uh seeing how our favorite players performed through the box scores, uh Stratomatic baseball turned that enjoyment, that love of the statistics of the game, turned it into an activity for us so we could play. And so, you know, that was it was a, a great, enjoyable game, but it was it was he and I that were the only two baseball nerds that we knew, uh, but fantasy sports and fantasy baseball in particular, um, it, it's fun in and of itself, but it's also very grounding to my childhood. And it's just, uh, it's, it, it's all the things I loved about baseball as a kid. Uh, I still love about baseball. And it's that, it's that uh, monotonous, I mean, uh, ever present uh, aspect of baseball ball that uh that draws me to it so cool that is so cool uh thanks greg what, joe sure. you what what's you know what was it that hooked you that got you into baseball well it was uh, my grandfather actually um who you and i have talked about on the porch numerous times um you know he i was born in massachusetts but I grew up an army brat, so baseball and my grandfather and, and all the things that revolved around that, he was a Red Sox fan, and and uh, so I was sort of born into it. Um, he took me to my first game. Uh, couldn't tell you what year it was. Um, we were, <laughs> if you've been to Fenway Park, you know they have those obstructed view seats behind the, the girders that familiar. hold up the, yes. the outfield. Very familiar group. with those. <clears throat> and uh, not only that, I was I was a kid, so I would have to lean around people to see. And, and you know, if, if the ball went to second base, I was screwed. I wouldn't see the play because the girder was blocking second base. But I do remember that uh, a player named John Kennedy, who was a rookie that year, he was an infielder, <laughs> Hit it inside the park home run, and that that was just the coolest thing I had ever seen. I'd watched a million games on TV before that, but I'd never seen it inside the park home run. Didn't really see that one either because everybody was standing up, but I stood on my seat and I could catch glimpses of him running. Um, and you know, my my grandfather had a long history with baseball. He actually. Uh, got offered a contract to play in the minor leagues with the Boston Braves. He was a, a pretty good shortstop by all accounts. And he turned it down because he was making more money at the SS Kresge company. And he had seven brothers and sisters to raise because both of his parents were gone. So he, he never actually got to play the game professionally, although he was probably good enough to have done it on some level. It, it's amazing, right? Just the the emotional connections to this game. Well, so, absolutely, and it's it's also for me growing up as an army brat. You know, you you were in a new place every year, and the universal language is, "Oh, do you do you like baseball? I like baseball. What's your favorite team?" And and 
you know, you would you would build friendships out of this, and and then you'd play on the the post team, and and it was all all part of that. You know, you you would uh, you'd, you'd go outside with your ball and your bat and your glove, and you'd find some other kids around the neighborhood, and you'd you'd go play. It was just what you did on any given day after school or on a Saturday when your mother kicked you out of the house at eight o'clock and said, don't come back until lunchtime. <laughs> so this, you know, this, this connection you have with the game, uh, fantasy sports, how has fantasy baseball specifically altered your connection to the game or enhanced it? Or I don't know, you know, I, I can't imagine that it, 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 it lessened it, but you know, and, and this is something interesting because You've been playing for this is your ninth season, so almost a decade now of of actually managing a fantasy baseball team. So I'm sure it's had some impact. Absolutely, I, I pay much more attention. Never paid attention to minor league players before. I, I think I've said that previously, but you know, it's it's you have to in this league if you want to survive, and uh, it's it's certainly made me think about uh, the value of a given player in a much different way. You know, if you've just uh, my experience, of course, is being a Red Sox fan, but, but, you know, looking at, okay, here's, here's this older veteran. Is it, you know, I know for my real team, he's valuable because he has experience, but it does nothing for me in fantasy. And with you know, of course, David Ortiz was the exception to the rule. He was more valuable the older he got, but that's that's the outlier. You know that you you can't be precious about these players in this game. You you have to. I'm still struggling with that. You know, I, I hell Pujols is still on my team. What's he 150 yeah. now? Uh, still 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 hit. He is. You know, but that's. That's actually a great example because if he doesn't play at first base this year, then how valuable is he to me? I can probably find those points in a much younger player that's going to serve me better over time at some point. Deepened your awareness of the farm system. And and absolutely. Yeah. And it sounds like it's more than just the Red Sox farm system, right? So well, it's, it's broadened your your I, I'll never get any Red Sox players from their farm system because you snap them up as soon as they're born. <laughs> well, it's been pretty much depleted now. So, you know, have at it. Go, go, <laughs> go, go for it. Well, you know, I, I think for me, uh, baseball, I actually liked playing baseball more than I really felt connected um, to any particular team. However, in 1975, Fred Lynn came, you know, blasting onto the scene. And so here's this guy who, uh, you know, played it the way I played it. You know, when, you know, here I am, I'm not even 10 yet. And, and there's a guy that's just playing with reckless abandon. He's running, his helmet's flying off when he goes around the bases. And so when I played Little League in my dungarees and T-shirt with the plumbing company name on it, I would tip my hat back when I was on first base so that it would fly off when I was running. And, and for me, it was this whole I am Fred Lynn-like uh, connection. And so it, it was this uh, uh, really neat kind of way to play the game. And 
it was very difficult for me for many, many years to sit and watch a baseball game. Uh, my, my ADD just would not allow me to do it. I, I'd constantly be attracted to sports that had more action, more activity. And baseball is a sport that is, uh, that kind of writes itself out in a novel format as opposed to a sitcom format, right? And so I'm not surprised that both of you as writers had this connection and really bought into the narrative and understood it and, and you know, were really enriched by it. I, I really struggled with it. So when I came to fantasy sports um, in my uh, late tw- mid, mid-20s, mid it was a it was a very different way of looking at the 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 game and it engaged me and i could engage with it um from an analytical perspective as well as really expanding and being able to watch any game at any time and and thinking hey you know that guy's in our league or i have him or who could he potentially be on my team so i was able to fall in love with the game on a much deeper level at the same time uh, you know, I, I'm playing this fantasy uh, sports game and this book Moneyball comes out, which is uh, written by a financial writer, Michael Lewis, on how the Oakland A's. I'm, what am I saying? You guys freaking know. So the whole idea here, though, is this this different way of looking of 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 finding success in a, in a in a way, in a manner that was unusual. And then I was just hooked and I thought, wow, I can use these thoughts, these principles in such a way to, to kind of express and play in this fantasy baseball game. And from there, really started to get into scouting and what the scouts do. And then came across different materials in my kind of just constant search for information about young players and farm systems and prospects. Came across this amazing podcast called Up and In that was phenomenal. And it was two guys that had the same kind of twisted passion for uh, a segment of the game of baseball that I just, it just messed perfectly. And so were it not for fantasy baseball, I, I don't know that I would be as big of a fan of the game as I am. And I actually think that, that, uh, uh, professional leagues should embrace fantasy sports to the max because I think it opens up an entirely different avenue for people to to look at, to understand, to appreciate, and to play the game at a level that isn't just physical, you know, like we, we have when we were kids. I mean, I, I don't know. I, you know, Joe, I know you and I have talked about this a lot with fantasy as is kind of opening up doors that we just didn't even know existed. Um, you know, were you were you aware of that, Greg, when you were playing Stratomatic, or was that just a neat game? that kind of gave you an alternative reality at a time when alternative realities were really easy to slip into. No, I mean, it definitely gave me an alternative, you know, um, that's, that's what I love about baseball. It's a game within a game and, you know, pirates fans suffered, but you know, so did Red Sox fans years of not winning. And so in many other sports that that's a, that's an absolute barrier to being a fan is the lack of winning. But in baseball, there, there were so many mini um, battles every day. And so, you know what? I might not be able to cheer my Pirates to victory or have any reasonable hope that they're going to do anything good. But the players that I was personally invested in, that starting pitcher that I loved, every five days I got to 
you know, root for him to win. He got to win. You know, I got to root for my favorite players to make an all-star team or to win a batting title or to be the league leader in doubles or whatever it may be. There's a lot of things to cheer in baseball. And I, and I will tell you, Tim, and I've never revealed this to you, that if my best friend were on this podcast right now and you asked him, who was Greg's unquestioned favorite player as a child? You know, whose number did Greg wear for every sports team that he ever played? He would answer instantly, Fred Lynn. No way. <laughs> Absolutely. No way. That's so 1975, 333 batting average, 39 home runs, 125 RBIs. It was amazing, wasn't it? It was. It was. That was an amazing rookie season. Yeah, amazing. I mean, he's he's. So you know, you think about like I. So think what you will about the Red Hot Chili Peppers, okay? Uh, seminal band. You know, if you if you if you listen to music in the '90s, like the Peppers were 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 the shit, yeah. right? And and my belief is is that their best album is Blood Sugar Sex Magic by far. Like everything else leads up to that or is a denouement from that. And um, but it's an interesting thing because Joe, I think you and I have done this right. We've applied the Blood Sugar Sex Magic uh, model to many other artists, music or other, right? And so you think about Fred Lynn released his Blood Sugar Sex Magic like at his fucking rookie year. Like mm-hmm. he could never match that. This is a 50 win player over the course of his career, but yet his single greatest uh, uh, moment in his career was as a rookie. Like, and there's something about that that is just so tragic. On, I, I mean, no, it's not. I don't know if it's tragic, but it does not have the build up and the you know the crescendo and then maybe a, a you know kind of walking off into the sunset. I mean, it's like. Boom! Right there. Well, right. Can, up. can you imagine what what they would say about a player like? I mean, who who parallels that today? Somebody somebody that's come into the league in the last ten years. Yeah, and Bryce Harper, uh, Mike Trout. You know. Well, I'm just I'm just saying had that that oh. magical rookie year and then never oh. quite lived up to it again. Yeah, I mean, you look at like Nomar, you know, Garcia Para through injury and so forth. He had more than just that one good year. But, right. Uh, yeah. You know, I always think of uh, who was the the Red Sox first baseman that they put in for defensive purposes, or that they Buck- should have put in for for Buckner. Was it Stapleton? I think Dave Stapleton. He, he his he played for at least ten years, and his average got lower every year hmm. that he played. Well, you know, an even more extreme example. I was telling Tim the other day. I watched a great. I think it was an ESPN piece on Rick Ankeel. Oh, yeah. And, you know, yeah. that guy was, you know, the, the top pitching prospect, and he lived up to it that rookie year, and then he caught Steve Blast disease. And, uh, you know, and God admirably fought back to the majors and had a good productive career. It was my first pick overall in my expansion year draft, by the way. But, um, <laughs> you know, but, but, you know, his mother was interviewed – and she talks about, like, you know, even though he had a great career and made millions of dollars, that uh, that part of him uh, died because he couldn't replicate this, the huge success that he felt was within his grasp. Wow. 
Well, thanks for sharing, guys. That, that I, I really appreciate hearing that and learning uh, that, Greg, that we have Fred Lynn in common. How awesome is that? Um, <laughs> okay, so we're going to take a break and we'll come back and talk about the most impactful movie uh, in our lives. gentlemen let's uh take this final segment it'd be really interesting to know what the most impactful movie of your life has been could be a baseball movie could be a non-baseball movie just really interested in uh a movie that uh really impacted you uh as a human being so joe i'm gonna uh, start off and ask that of you all right well i i actually thought about this quite a bit today um and my my first choice, I realized, couldn't possibly have been impactful in my life because I couldn't remember what year it came out. So I rejected that, <laughs> and I would have to say it was Star Wars. Um, big science fiction fan, and it was the first movie I saw when we moved back to the United States. Uh, we'd been living in Germany for three years, and, and our... our uh, our culture consisted of, of AFN, which is Armed Forces Network, and uh, in the midst of, you know, things like Charlie's Angels being popular and Starsky and Hutch, we were watching reruns of Bonanza and things like that if you wanted to watch American TV. And, and so we, we just weren't getting pop culture there. And we came back to the States in the summer of 77, and everybody was talking about this great movie. And, you know, we, we spent our month in Massachusetts at my grandparents' house, and we moved out to Fort Leavenworth, which is close to Kansas City. Um, and so that was, we, we decided to go in. There wasn't, a, there wasn't a theater in Leavenworth that was showing it. It was too small. So we had to go to Kansas City to see it. And you know, just the opening scene of that, watching that scroll go off into the distance and, and the, 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 the special effects, you know, the, the, the story itself was just amazing. It was like, this is great. I'm so happy to be home, you know, wherever home is right now. It wasn't home home, but it was, it was, it was the U.S. And, you know, I can remember having a, a conversation amongst the family on the way home about, you know, what was that about? What was, you know, what was, why, why did they do this? Why was this character named this? Wait, wait, you, Never, you, having, you were asking that or they were asking you? Um, we were all talking about it. My father, of course, was leading the discussion because right. that's just kind of what he did. And, 
and I had, I had never actually thought about things like that watching a movie before. It was it was the first one where we actually, probably the first time we'd gone to a movie as a, as a family in years. Um, you know, the the post theater at uh, in, in the one time we were stationed on post in Germany, the one year that we didn't live on the economy, so to speak, was was a bad year for movies. I don't remember anything good coming out of my parents never found anything they wanted to go to at least with the kids so that was that was a, a real treat to do that it was just it was a obviously it was a great movie it's unless you just hate that sort of thing but joe i agree with you you know that was a huge movie for me as a kid too and you know i'm the youngest of six i think every one of my brothers and sisters took me to see it and i saw it probably another half a dozen times in the theaters with friends and, you know, those days, once a movie was out of the theaters, I couldn't conceive of a way that I would ever see it again. Well, yeah, of course not. <laughs> you know, there was no div- there was no videos there. You know, I, I never thought that they would ever broadcast it on television. So I, I convinced my mom to buy me the soundtrack album on vinyl. Yeah. And uh, every day after school, I would lie on the living room floor, the big family Wi-Fi in front of that, and I would play that soundtrack album. And I would close my eyes and I would try to the best of my ability to like re-see the movie in my mind's eye based cued solely I by that soundtrack album. Did the exact same thing. The exact same thing. I even had, I still have them actually, a bunch of, they had trading cards for Star Wars, much, much like baseball cards. And I used to buy those all the time. I was just so into that. It was, it was a wonderful movie. It was. I haven't watched it in years, and I'm kind of afraid to because I'm afraid it doesn't hold up to what I think it was. I I was gonna ask you, and I thought, no, nah, that's a shitty question. Like, what what a lame question. So to hear you say that, because I, you know, I have my own thoughts on how well or it did or didn't age. But I, I'd be interested to, if and when you ever do, that you let me know because well, you know what scared me off of it is I, I watched the Monty Python movie years ago with Andrew, my son. <laughs> And it just wasn't as funny as I remember it. <laughs> so, yeah. What are you going to do? <laughs> Excellent. Thank you. I I, uh, I I think all of us are at an age where Star Wars was, um, you know, we I can remember going to the theater. Obviously, Greg shared with you, uh, you know, his relationship to it. A freaking great movie. Um, you know, and it's it's good versus evil, man. I like I, I that that means something to me. Um, Greg, I'm, I'm, I'm interested in, in the most impactful movie. I know we've had a chance to talk a lot, but I don't know that I have any idea where you're going with this. Yeah, it's, it's, that's a tough question to boil something down. You know, I have a lot of favorites and, uh, for different reasons, but, uh, if pressed, I would say that it's Casablanca, you know, uh, and, and for me, it was all about the, uh, possibility of, of uh, a life beyond suburbia you know and you know, I had a great childhood it was it was many ways idyllic and I'm not certainly bashing suburbia but well maybe I am about to bash suburbia but um, you know it was it was kind of a banal existence and um, to see somebody you know Bogart was unlike any person I ever knew or met or even saw on the streets 
He was sophisticated. He was cool. He was in command. And he was living in this melting pot, very exotic environment. You know, so on the surface, all of those things appealed to this kind of uh, sheltered suburbanite uh, very much. But then on a deeper level, uh, there was the backdrop of history. And probably, you know, you know uh, I think inarguably the greatest evil that uh, our race or the human race has ever encountered. And so to see somebody uh, in such a stylish way squaring off uh, against that evil was compelling to me. And then, you know, um, it was just so, so much depth to that movie that I think a lot of people don't notice. Every character in that movie had redeeming qualities, you know, uh, some more than others, but it was a collection of people uh, who were really admirable uh, in, in dealing with their circumstances. And, and um, you know, and it was just, it was unlike any collection of characters that I'd ever seen in any other kind of uh, a story. And so it really uh, affected me and it made me think that, you know, wow, there's, there's such a, a world of, of possibility that I'm unaware of, but that I'm going to tap into. How old were you when you saw that? Uh, I was probably early teens, 12, 13 years old. You know, okay, when, you when for the first time I sat down to watch it, you know? So, now I've known you for a long time, Greg, and I, I know that, uh, and I've said this to you, you're a very deep person, and, and there's a lot of complexity there, and it, it you know, it, it's fascinating. But to be that young and to, to really kind of understand that movie, I mean, there, there's a lot of themes in that movie that go way beyond anything I was thinking about when I was 12. Um, that That's 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 wild. And, and so has that kind of, I mean, that must have kind of shaped, I mean, just your whole adolescence and, and like teenager into young adulthood. I mean, you're, these are epic that's an epic film <laughs> with a, with a, yeah, no, it, it, you know, not to be overly uh, dramatic, but no, it, yeah, it certainly did. It, um, you know, the, the narrative structure that's kind of hardwired into our DNA is boy meets girl. They fall in love and they live happily ever after. And, and to have that so beautifully disrupted where, you know, boy meets girl, they fall in love. Uh, but then because of forces greater than them, they, they consciously decide to sacrifice their own happiness in the service of something bigger. That's mind-blowing and, you know, and, and, and expanding. And so, yeah, that, that you know, uh, I don't know if it was a completely linear path, but, you know, uh, then reading books, you know, like For Whom the Bell Tolls or reading Siddhartha and, and starting to look into Buddhism and, and uh, you know, uh, uh, Joseph Campbell and greater consciousness. It's uh, yeah, it was definitely uh, a departure point of sorts for me uh, on a path of appreciating sophistication and that balance between that and uh, humanism. You know, phenomenal. And I really wish I had gone before you. Uh, I mean, uh, because uh, you know. Yeah. Sister Act 2? <laughs> yeah, this this is just going to... Uh, so when I think about impactful, right? It, it, for me, a lot of the same things, right? Uh, grew up 
you know, suburbia, lower middle class, uh, really wanted to get out of there, uh, felt kind of hemmed in quite a bit. And uh, I remember I was a young kid, um, I, probably around the same age, 11 or 12, and uh, was hanging out, staying over at Brian Delano's house, my friend Brian Delano. And it was always fun because uh, Brian Delano's parents were divorced and he was living with his mom and his mom was pretty kind of laissez-faire. So, you know, hanging out with Brian meant you could pretty much do whatever the hell you wanted. And uh, we went out to the movies and we saw Saturday Night Fever, but we saw the R-rated version of Saturday Night Fever, right? Now, this is pre-internet. This is pre you know, uh, anything. And, and so here I am and freaking the opening scene and Tony Monero's walking down the street and the music's just cranking. And, you know, this is a whole story about a guy in a nowhere life. And then when he crosses that bridge and, 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 and really kind of, you know, goes clubbing, like he's, he's just, you know, there's this whole nother world he goes into and I immediately connected with him. And then, you know, again, here it is, you know, I was too young to be seeing an R-rated movie. And, you know, there is a, well, a hell of a sex scene in there that I know stayed with me for many years. But the idea was that, you know, man, this is this is awesome. Like, adulthood is fucking great. And, you know, how am I going to make that happen? And so I, I got to tell you, man, I, you know, I can't dance worth a crap. And um, although I do like music with a groove, that's never changed. But that's a movie that really kind of did two things for me. One, made me think that growing up is freaking awesome. And, and number two, that, you know, hang in there because there is a, there is the, that, that opportunity, you're going to have that opportunity, Tim, to cross the bridge yourself. And, and, and frankly, um, I did, I did as fast as I could. I, I grew up in New England, but I turned 18. I got the hell out of there. Um, and, and really kind of, uh, crossed that bridge myself. Shit, you know, I had to follow you, like with, with with that, Greg. I mean, come on, man. No, but you know, but uh, Saturday Night Fever, like Star Wars, it was a cultural phenomenon. You know, it, it set fashion trends. You know, the Bee Gees set music trends. It spawned, you know, um, you know, a whole cultural phenomenon. It was it was a great movie, uh, and you look back at it now. And it's like a it's, it's like a time capsule of that era. It is know? a time capsule of that era. And go ahead, Joe. I was just gonna say the good part for you is that chicks still dig that music. I don't know chicks that dig Star Wars, so <laughs> that's you got that going. For yeah, you you were in the wrong generation, Joe, because I think I think the the kids today are totally embrace that. But um, yeah, so you know, uh, good stuff and uh, really neat stuff. I mean, I've. I've Hell, Joe, I've known you for 20 years. Greg, I've known you for, what, 12? Um, mm -hmm. nah, yeah, uh, yeah, uh, 11 years. So yeah. pretty awesome. Pretty awesome. So if, if, uh, if you had to name a sports movie or a baseball movie, what would it be, either one of you? For me, it'd be The Natural. You know, and if you'd asked me this this time last year, I probably would have said Field of Dreams. But I've been watching The Natural has been on some rotation on cable and uh and i realized how much i really love that movie and uh you know i have an interest in like joseph campbell and the hero's journey and uh and that sort of thing and, and that movie really is 
you know, I love the history. I love that era of baseball. But, man, it is deep. And it is deep on a level of, like, that hero's path to redemption, you know? Yeah. What about you, Tim? Um, yeah, geez. You know, there's, there's a, gosh, you know, I am a sucker for, um, I'm definitely a sucker for a good sports movie for sure. Like I will absolutely, um, is it going to be slap shot? Uh, well, no slap shot. Now, come on now. Slap shot is actually a really good movie. Um, and we just, I, I think we just passed what was it? We just passed, um, was it the 30 year anniversary that uh, Slapshot? Was it 30 or yeah, that's 40? It was 40, right? 40. Johnstown Chiefs did a memorial game and brought the Hanson brothers like, to the arena. <laughs> yeah, it, I, it, I think it was 40. Um, you know, if for me, I, look, I love the movie Invincible. Right? I, to me, that that was, you know, uh, Vince Papali again. I guess I guess this freaking, you know, having growing up, grown up in Boston, and you know, relating these, you know, it's a New York and a Philly guy, uh, guys. I I just I love the fact that this that 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 he was undaunted and that he kept getting knocked down and just got got back up. And and to me, that is something that resonates with me. Uh, on on every level, and it 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 just reinforces, you know, what grit does for somebody and what they're able to do, and your ability to get back up. What's the, what's the Japanese saying, right? Get knocked down six times, get up seven, and and to see that played out, and just to spend an hour and a half kind of working through that with the character emotionally being invested. So for me, it was, yeah, I, I would say invincible. That's what about you, John? Yeah, my, I, I would have to be filled the dreams for me. Just the, the Great. fact that it's Red Sox centric, it's, it's got the literary element to it. I lived in the Midwest for a long time and, and there really are people like that out there. That, that's, that's just a, it was, it was a neat story. And uh, just uh, the whole at the end when he when he's playing catch with his dad, I, I just remember as a kid, every chance I would get, I would play catch with my grandfather. It was it was one of the things he loved to do the best. And I'd always always have my Red Sox hat on, and he'd grab his, and, and we'd just go out in the backyard and have a pass, as he called it. Hmm. That's it's awesome. a beautiful story, it definitely is. I cried like a baby. I, I, told... I cried a lot of. I'll tell you guys a deep sleeper if you're ever looking for a tear-jerking sports movie from the past. Uh, the Jericho Mile. Oh, yeah, I remember that one. Peter Strauss, yeah. runner in prison. It's a, it's a great movie. Well, uh, hey, great segment, guys. I really appreciate it. Uh, that was very illuminating for me. And uh, I appreciate you sharing some stuff that uh, I didn't know about you. And um, with that, we're going to wrap this up, this uh, episode up and uh, looking forward to next week. I think next week we'll talk about some of the uh, results of the first week, maybe some surprises, early surprises. Uh, does it change our predictions? I don't think it does, but maybe it does. And hopefully we'll have uh, the, the fourth amigo Jack back uh, so that he can participate as well. So 
Thanks, guys. Love you a bunch, and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, guys. All right. Take care. Thank you.